Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Bantering the Blue Shirts Flagship Edition. This is a half of a bi-weekly podcast where Mike and I sometimes talk into your ear about the New York Rangers. I'm Joe. Mike is Mike. Mike. And we have brought on a ringer for the second week in a row where we're going to make the podcast sound a lot better than it really is. Um, The Columbus Blue Jackets beat reporter for The Athletic, Allison Lucan. Hello. Lucan. It's Lucan. We I told you I was going to do that. Lucan I was Lucan. literally reading Lucan. And then I was like, <laughs> ah, Lucan. Lucan rolls right off the tongue, I have to tell you. Lucan. Anyway, we, we've brought her on here because, A, she's a smart hockey person. But, B, apparently the Rangers and the Blue Jackets are morphing into one super team somewhere <laughs> down the line. Yeah. The Rangers have already absorbed uh, John Davidson and, theoretically, could be getting... Um, one Artemi Panarin. Uh, they already traded Adam McQuaid. So that's we have the trifecta. Everything comes in threes. When you uh, can go all the way back to the Rick Nash, Brandon Dubinsky, and Rick Nash yeah. trade. I mean, trade. a relationship started many moons ago for those of us who've been around quite a while. Yeah. You know, Mike and I were talking, and I said to you right before we started that I was excited about Tortorella. I'm excited about Brandon, some Brandon Dubinsky talk too. To be completely honest, excellent, because, excellent. Uh, oof, that was a that was an emotional roller coaster. That man. Uh, I guess let's start with the obvious. John Davidson. He leaves the Blue Jackets. Uh, they have not filled the position yet, right? They're doing some internal uh, interviewing, I believe. Uh, they will actually not be filling the position uh, in Columbus, really? which I think is. I mean, not every organization has this role, right? So um, I I I really see this as a compliment to what JD could do because the Jackets needed this role when he came in and now to his credit and to the credit of the people he hired and brought in, they don't really need it as much. There's a really healthy working and relationship and communication path between ownership and the current front office. And so they don't need that extra layer anymore. I think that's, that's a good thing. All right, this is you bring up an interesting point because we we've gone back and forth about John Davidson and Mike and I are of the mind that he was a very good hire by the New York Rangers, maybe one of the best hires by the New York Rangers for this position. We were a little uh what's the word? weirded out that the Rangers were not even talking to anyone else really. They were just like, yeah, JD's our guy and it's going to be what it's going to be. But 
we are curious what John Davidson, what did he bring to the Blue Jackets? Because the Rangers are a little bit behind the times when it comes to analytics. Um, they're a team that has had Glenn Sather at the helm since 1943. <laughs> and when you have somebody who's that entrenched in a position and really has no fear of being fired... Glenn Sather was the guy, and there was really no pressure from above him at any stage of the game. You can get kind of caught in, you know, your own ways and not wanting to change because what's the point? And we're looking, Mike and I are, and the Rangers fan base is a hopeful, you know, John Davidson is going to come in and kind of give a refresher to the organization. So we know he did a lot of really good things in Columbus, but you're better to talk to about that than us making that assumption. So what were some of the things that changed under JD, some of the most drastic things when he went to Columbus? Yeah, I think it's it's an interesting contrast because all the things you just said where New York is, and understandably, looking for JD to kind of refresh. As you said, I think that what the Jackets were looking for was a little bit of what New York might have too much of right now. They were looking to solidify. They were looking to establish. And so for Columbus, I think it's two different products of the same elements of him having the charisma he has, him having the experience he has, having the clout he has. Columbus needed someone with that stature to come in and say, everything's okay. Everything's going to be fine. And I think that is a similar type experience to what the Rangers are hoping for. And once you get that, it frees up some space to make the right moves. And I think that's where things might differ New York to Columbus. But what he did for Columbus specifically was, first of all, he gave ownership, again, that kind of buffer idea. Like there was not a lot of trust. There was not a lot of confidence because the Jackets just had not won. So JD was there to say, I've been here before. These moves we're making are fine translate the needs back and forth, translate expectations back and forth. He brought in the first European general manager in all of the NHL in Jarmo Kekalainen. And then in addition to being that buffer, I think what he really did was listen and empower the people he brought in. He brought in a perspective of analytics. As you said, he brought in a high performance coach, um, the likes of which not many clubs have yet in Nelson Iote, um, who's very well respected in his craft. Um, he's brought in a really well-built European focused scouting, drafting and development staff. There's a development coach based in Europe. Uh, there's scouts based in Europe, but that's a fairly extensive network. So I think he did some things in terms of respectability, but I think he also did some things in terms of talent development and then maintenance that really let the team start to come into their own. All right. Analytics is a big one for us because it's something that the Rangers have been sorely lacking. JD mentioned analytics as something he was going to look at unprovoked, which was like the craziest thing really for us. Cause again, we don't live in that existence. <laughs> um, do you know his stance on that? Was Columbus a team that utilized analytics? Was it JD driven? Um, did he not stand in the way of it? Or was he a driving force behind it? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and I want to say, first and foremost, you know, this is I have tremendous respect for JD. I think that he, he's been integral to all of this, whether he drove it or enabled it, right? But uh, I don't get the sense he drove it. But I do get the sense that he listened understood the value and then pushed for it. Uh, the Blue Jackets are one of the many teams that uses sport logic. They're not ashamed to say that. Um, they are very big 
on coupling film with data. They're very big on looking at games and chunks of the season analytically. And they're also very big. This is, this is one of my favorite fun facts. And I know we'll talk about this, I'm sure too, in that John Tortorella has actually said, these are things I want to know about games. And the Blue Jackets have utilized their systems that they have available to track that data and turn around to Torts and say, this is a stat you said we're interested in. Here's the answer. Here's how the team is doing in that stat. So I, I don't know that JD fostered it directly himself, but I wouldn't be surprised if that in his experience with Columbus, that he empowered it and then now sees even the bigger value of it. And that's why he is now the voice for it in New York. And, and JD is a guy who, if he sees something missing, he's going to talk about it. And I think that could be behind this as well. Mm, music to our ears, isn't it, Michael? <laughs> Mike, I've, I've taken you away. So yeah, I was just things. letting you do whatever you wanted to do very rudely. Um, <laughs> I, I think an important part of this equation for the Rangers, Allison, is the Hartford Wolfpack have just been an unmitigated disaster, really, um, for the past couple of years. And, you know, we know that, you know, Columbus and, you know, it's AHL affiliate Cleveland, you know, had, you think they won... When they win the Clarkson, was it 2016? Uh, that sounds right. Two yeah. two years ago, yeah. And um, I, was, I was curious, did you get the impression that, you know, with JD, it was the, it was this idea of, you know, it's not just the NHL club, it's building from within, because it is a, a storyline we've heard a lot of uh, in the playoffs, especially towards the end of the season with Edmonton and how they're trying to, you know, get out of that giant knot they've tied for themselves, this idea of, maybe leaving prospects into kind of maybe over marinate even and giving guys time to develop. I was wondering, do you have any kind of impression on how JD sees the value of the AHL and, you know, having the structure in place there to develop prospects? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's, it's interesting that you say that it's not one aspect that I had considered, um, in this whole relationship and management, but it, it was a real transition for Columbus prior to JD and Yarmo Kekalainen. The Jackets were were an organization where if there was talent in the pipeline, they were like, bring them up quick, right? Like bring them up, make them play. They they can be the difference maker at the NHL level. And they yeah, were yeah. they were burned. I mean, Derek Broussard, who you guys saw, was a guy who was burned by an early rush up to the NHL level and, and thankfully Big was time. able, yeah, and was thankfully able to make something out of his years in the NHL and, and a great guy to boot. But um, under JD's leadership and Yarmo Kekalainen's leadership, the Jackets definitely transitioned to a team and organization, if you will, that said, let those guys simmer down there. Let them kind of get fully baked in success at a lower level. Um, and the belief that understanding that and what that takes, even if it's at a quote unquote lower level, will translate later. And it was it was now, yeah, two years ago when kind of that group of Calder Cup winners came up to Columbus and you could feel, that was part of some of the energy change in the room. You could feel a difference in confidence. You could feel a camaraderie as well, which I think is also really important. So yes, I think that um, again, it was, you know, and I don't want to again take anything away from JD. There were so many people involved in turning the organization around, but yes, shifting to an intentional development where guys have to really fight to get their chance because there's so much talent to push through to get up to the NHL. 
Um, that is a part of the Jackets culture now, and it certainly did not used to be. Yeah, right now the Rangers are, like, drastically avoiding sending anybody to Hartford if they can help it. At right. least they have the past two years, because it is just not a place for any form of actual development. And the players who did need to spend time in Hartford, realistically... Uh, you know, Lieber Hayek and Leah Anderson actually looked better in the NHL than they did in the AHL mm. because they were just, it's an absolute tire fire. But the Rangers fired the entire coaching staff down there and are starting from scratch. And they waited for JD to uh, do the hiring process. So that's very nice. Um, all right. Let me ask you this. Columbus made easily one of the most ballsy moves this trade deadline by not trading Panarin. Going all in for Duchesne. Going it. all in. I'm sorry? I loved it. I thought it was the... Yes, like, I did too. Swing for the fences, and they, they, they've they never won a playoff series before. They went, pushed all the chips to the middle of the table, accepted all the risk. Oh, man. I just wish they went deeper. And I, I know that Yarmo was kind of the guy who said, you know, if it's on me, if we lose, it's on me. But I didn't want people to just sit there and be like, oh, you know, the fucking Blue Jackets again, I believe, is the quote or something along those lines. <laughs> um, how much of a factor was JD? Justin, is he the type of guy that kind of lets his, his people, and in this case, the general manager, take a big risk like that? Obviously, he is. Was he kind of driving the driving force behind that? Was he somebody who, you know, if he senses it, he kind of lets his guys do their own thing? Yeah, I mean, I yes, I think that's exactly what it is. I think that, um, you know, and, and we weren't in the room, obviously, you know, Yarmo has been at the forefront of this. And so we'll give him the credit for it because I loved it too. I mean, I just think this is how champions should fight to be champions in the league is, is go all in, give it your best shot, take, take, take the wager, go in. Um, but I do think that if this was the wrong move, that JD would have said, whoa, 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 whoa. This is not what we're doing here, guys. And again, like I mentioned, while JD may not have had to do this as actively in the past, you know, this this required ownership buy-in. This required buy-in from a lot more people than just whoever the decision maker was. So I think JD was part of this. I think you do see, this is where you see the fire of JD's competitiveness, his desire to, to really want to be part of a winner wherever he is, which I think is part of why he wants to be with New York is to bring back the respect, the winning culture of that organization and, and bring them back to the top if he can. Um, so I, th I think that shows where JD is part of it. Even if his name isn't on it, I, I, I think he definitely blessed this. And I don't think he would ever say his name wasn't signed on the bottom line as well. Mike, you have any other JD questions? Um, let me think. Well, I know he has, you know, he has a position of influence, obviously, not just, you know, in, in the Rangers community, in the Blues community, in the Blue Jackets community. I know, you know, he's a very influential guy in terms of, you know, the NHL and the hockey community. I was wondering, you know, because working on Behind the Benches with Shayna, you know, she and I have taken like a really long look at, you know, the kind of the fraternity of, mm -hmm. of coaches and general managers and how... You know, a lot of it is networking, but there's also just a lot of, you know, a lot of old boys club things going on and you can't help but kind of scratch your chin at like, oh, look at that. It's it's someone's nephew or son um, or things along that line. But it feels like to me that overall JD is kind of a forward thinking guy, despite the fact that he is also part of a group that's kind of respected by 
what you might just generally call the old boys club. Is that the impression you get, that he is kind of forward-thinking despite, you know, his age and how long he's been around? Yeah, I mean, I think he's, I mean, I think there's a, there's no denying that the culture that you say exists. Um, but again, you know, the hiring of Jarmo Kekalainen, um, bringing in, he, he's brought in, and the organization has brought in some former players and, and people that could probably be described in that old guard definition, but, but also they're not willing to suffer fools if those people can't perform, right? So there is some risk-taking there. I think that the organization has moved a little differently, even with him as part of the executive team, if you will, and and, then Hockey Ops had to kind of be okay with some of the moves they made internally. So, I mean, he's not, he's not out there rewriting the playbook, (laughs) but, but I don't think he's just old school set in his ways unwilling to change either. I'm going to put you on the spot on this one. Ready. I want one thing Rangers fans are going to love about JD and one thing they're going to hate about JD. Oh. Gosh, I mean, it's so hard to come up with something new in terms of what people will love about JD. I think what you love about JD is just the confidence um, and the relatability that he brings at all levels. He brings it to players. He brings it to fans. He brings it to sponsors. He brings it to season ticket holders. Pick, I mean, pick your poison. I think he brings just that calming influence. His whole thing when he came to Columbus was the saying of building the organization brick by brick. And it became a mantra even when things were not going great at first. So I think that's what you're going to love is you're not going to hopefully be as stressed out as maybe you have been in the past. That's nice. Um, hate. Gosh. Or dislike. Hate, dislike. hate is such a strong word. Dislike. Um, you know, it, it might be, and this is a little on the spot, but it might be even a little bit of what we've just discussed here now too is that I think someone who does his job well doesn't necessarily, it's not like he comes in and makes a swath of sweeping changes. And it's not like all the changes bear his fingerprints directly, right? So even if you look at what happened in Columbus, there were so many things that I can point to that happened that I would argue JD played a part in. But like when you guys ask me, like, what did he do here? What did he do here? It's much more subtle. And so I think for people who maybe want to say, give me 10 things JD's done this year to make the team better, that's going to be a lot more of a subtle transition that may not come clear until a couple of years down the road. How's that? That was great, especially since I put you on the spot and didn't warn you at all that I was going to do that. So he's the, the unseen hand operating the puppet strings. It, it'll be hard to understand how, where his influence is coming from. Maybe. But I th- yeah, and I think, though, that, like, I think for me, and, and I'm big on leadership theory as well, and I think for me that's actually awesome. Like, you don't want, we all hear this too, right? Like, work yourself out of the job you have so that you can get the better job. And so mm-hmm. he's he's doing that. He's making his people better without you really seeing him. And he'll step forward when you need to see him. That's something he did really well in Columbus too. When things were rough, JD was the one doing the glad handing, doing the public events, doing the season ticket holder events. The less we saw him publicly, the better the club was doing, right? Because then you could center the athletes, you could center the coaches, you could center whomever. And so in that respect, I think it really is the hallmark of really good leadership of how he gets stuff done. You don't don't hear this 
you know, president of hockey operations having a press conference every week talking about everything he's done and the five point plan and this and that and the other thing. It just kind of happens. That's a wonderful little nugget because one of the things that I think John Tortorella does better than anyone, and I'm assuming it's similar in Columbus, was when the pressure was on the New York Rangers, be it in the playoffs, maybe they lost a big game, whatever it was, he would do something where, and normally it was being a huge asshole to the media, (laughs) where all the focus was on John Tortorella, and it wasn't on the players anymore, and it wasn't about the game, it wasn't about how they screwed up, it wasn't about that they're down one in the series, whatever it was. Um, John Tortorella had a wonderful way of drawing all of the attention in the room on him. And I can confidently say without being able to prove it in any way that that ability helped the Rangers win a lot of games and a lot of playoff series with him that they probably would not have because it takes the pressure off the guys. So it is a little funny for me to hear JD is kind of the opposite where like when things are going well, he's like, nobody, no, actually the same. Nobody look at me. And then when things are going bad, he's like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm the guy. This is my fault. Well, it's kind of the, the, the management tier thing, right? Where it's you, when things are problematic, you take responsibility and ownership, but when things are going well, you want from a good leader or manager, you want them to elevate the people around them who, you know, just, oh yeah, our general manager's doing great. Yarmo's doing great. Torts is doing great. It's not me. You know, like, I feel like that is the sort of trait that we, we all recognize in JD that makes him kind of this guy who's impossible not to love to some degree. Like the charisma, the, you know, like, I think it was a great word you used, Allison, like his clout, like he's widely, widely respected, but he's also... Everywhere he's really kind of left his fingerprints, you know, he's deeply loved and appreciated. And I think that's what kind of sets him apart from a lot of, you know, kind of the old, you know, the old guard there. All right. The Rangers are getting JD, or they have JD. Hopefully, they're getting Artemi Panarin. (laughs) Lots of questions about Panarin. Let's start with this one. He's obviously not going back to Columbus, we would assume. Do you think he's going to Florida, or does your gut tell you he's going to New York? Yeah, it's hard. I uh, and 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 I will say this, and not even to be a, a contrarian, I, I there's a chance, there's a chance that he could come back to Columbus. I we're not really sure on what he's all about, mainly because there's been a language barrier, and we've only talked to him directly a couple times, um, only once without a translator um, in the two years he was with Columbus. So it's harder to get a read on him. Um, I do think New York and Florida are the two kind of primary targets for him. And and I honestly was leaning more towards Florida until he made some some casual away from the ice, away from the arena comments, just talking about how Florida doesn't have as many fans. Um, so so that kind of tipped it a little bit, but. Uh, I'm I'm not sure. It's really hard for me because it's I have to believe that these these UFAs, it all teams, quite frankly, really also want to be part of a winning team and I think that the paths ahead for Florida and New York both look promising, but it's a matter of when that really starts to click. And and that's not a dig on either organization. It's a matter of when and when how much is a player willing to wait for those pieces to click in. So I it I Florida, New York are the final two for me. I was leaning Florida, and now I'm more back to 50-50. You're going to get everybody here all excited. 
<laughs> I mean, to be completely honest with you, the Rangers fan base has considered Panarin basically a foregone conclusion. Oh, I'm aware. Just like Kovalchuk was yeah. a foregone conclusion. Yeah, yeah but this year. is this yeah. goes so much deeper. Kovalchuk was like a, hey, it's going to be nice if we get him. Panarin, it, it, people are going to be at each I other's know. throats. Well, it's the $11 um, million dollar contract. It's Well, yeah, so, I mean, that's the other thing. He Obviously, one of the, uh, I think we could easily say one of the most complete players in the NHL. Uh, it is so hard to get superstar talent in their prime, and Panarin is at that level, maybe on the back end of what you would consider prime at 28, but he doesn't have the wear and tear of an NHL season on him. He does have those years in the KHL, and somehow Columbus got him for sod, which is really one of the most uh, Joe, incredible Joe, things. Joe, shut your stupid math for one second. Um, Allison, why why Panarin good at hockey? Why so good is he? <laughs> what did he do so good? And, and hey, Columbus threw in two other pieces into that trade. Let's just be clear. Um, but, uh, you know, he, he really is a rebel. If, if, when he came to Columbus from Chicago, admittedly, even all of us uh, media wanks who were at, at training camp, we didn't get to see him much because Chicago had not had deep playoff success with him. Um, and so we, we knew of him. We knew his stat line, whatever. But we sat around the first training camp when he was there, and we all just kept looking at each other saying, why did Chicago let this guy go? Um, and I think what you see, the, the vision is easy to see, the skill is easy to see. What's secondarily maybe not as easy to see is that he commands attention on the ice, which of course gives his line mates time and space, the old adage of what everyone wants. Um, he also, he, he kind of tap dances on the ice. He's so light on his skates but then at the same time is so hard on the puck. Um, the guy isn't even six feet tall, and he can maintain possession like few can, and he can control the puck like few can. I have said, even now that you know it's, it, we don't know if he's even ever going to come back to Columbus again unless he's on, in a visiting roster, uh, he's arguably one of the top ten players in the league for me, if not the top five. Yeah. Um, it, it, what's hard about that is that when he's not on and, and he has dips, that becomes really noticeable. And so I, I don't know if, if he has those off nights, particularly in a bigger market, right? Or, or is that going to be a harder hurdle to clear in terms of what the press says and how the fans react? Because he does have his down nights and it's, it's very noticeable. Um, but he's just so talented in transition. He's so talented in playmaking. And what's crazy is he makes it look easy. Right, and that's that's perhaps the most the, perhaps the most impressive part of it all. You are talking about a fan base that booed Rick Nash in a playoff game, which yeah, and Columbus really, did too. So <laughs> ugh, horrific, absolutely horrific. Even remembering that is stupid. Um, yeah, I think Rangers fan. I mean, Mike and I have talked at length about Panarin and, and kind of what he brings to the table, and he's one of those guys that you put him in the lineup, and then everybody else shifts down. Right, right, the whole, right. It just changes everything. And the Rangers are in a weird spot because there is a level of thought process where, okay, if you swing and you miss on Panarin, do you go after Duchesne? Do you go after, oh, my daughter is not happy with that. Uh Um, Do you go (laughs) after, you know, some of the other big names? And we've had the discussion that, no, there is nobody like Artemi Panarin. There is nobody at his level right now on the market. You have Taylor Hall next year, and really that's kind of the end of things. So for the New York Rangers, it is kind of Panarin or bust this year. And if they need to let everybody else just kind of go, and if you don't get Panarin and he goes to Florida and you don't get any other free agents, that does make a pretty big difference. 
But all the things that Panarin does really well for the New York or for the Columbus Blue Jackets is what would he would do really well for the New York Rangers, and that's kind of where we do get to this point. Um, did, did the kind of split with Panarin and Columbus? Is there a split? Is it is it an organizational thing? Is it just him looking for a fresh start someplace else? Like we're assuming there's no fractured relationship with the organization and John Davidson and whatnot. Is is that true? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know 100%, um, but that would also be my read. I mean, I think this is a player, if um, my colleague Aaron Portsline did a tremendous story of Artemi Panarin's kind of whole life coming into hockey, um, which really helped me understand, in, in my read of it, um, more of what's going on. I mean, this is a kid who grew up basically in poverty conditions. He was playing in hand-me-down gear that his grandfather found, like, in the trash, and his grandmother would sew up for him to play, and his teammates laughed at him. So I think this is a guy who wants to finally be able to say, I'm going to go, and I'm going to see who's going to bid the highest, and I, I'm going to be in charge for once. I'm going to be recognized for the talent I have for once, and I'm going to make the choice after having to have so many people judge me and choose for me all this time. Um, I think he wants that experience, and I think that, Listen, I think Columbus is a great city, and I think it's a great destination for a lot of people. But if it's valuable and important to you, as it, as it surely could be with zero judgment from me to say that you're playing in a really big market, I mean, if that's important, then that's what he's after. And I get that. I get if you want to go home to, I mean, how many towns can you guys name in Russia, right? So if if he wants to be able to go home and say, I'm playing in a city, and everyone goes, oh, yeah, 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 I know that city, like... That's his right. He's earned it, and and why not? He he deserves it. He's that good. So JD could theoretically bring him over. He could he could give the pitch. There would be no <laughs> there would be no concerns there. I, yeah, I mean, I yeah, I don't honestly. I mean, not again, not to take anything away from JD. I don't know that it's a plus or a minus um, for the player. Well, That's just my read. Yeah, yeah, I don't. I, I don't. There was a video or or a, or a gif where JD went and hugged. Uh, you know, Artemi in, in the locker room, and it, you got the feeling like there might be a relationship there. I was going to ask you, is there, is there something there in terms of you know his relationship with his player? I know he was on a, a Rangers broadcast um, towards the end of the regular season, talking to you know his old broadcast colleague Sam Rosen and mm-hmm. talking about you know Bobrovsky and and Panarin and you know their situation and what Columbus was doing, and you know he really spoke highly of Panarin, which, you know, is not surprising given the sort of talent he is, but is there a kind of pre-existing relationship there? I mean, it is president. It's not a GM, so it's a little different. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, to your point, I don't know that it's a super strong relationship. As you said, we've seen JD, we've seen Yarmo come into the room when we're doing post-game and congratulating players or giving a good word um, to a whole handful of players. And uh, like I said, I, I don't, I just, the, in a way that's almost good, right? I don't think it's bad, and I don't think it's like this added edge that he's coming or wouldn't come just because JD is there. I mean, if, if it was about JD, he'd be signing in Columbus, right? So, I mean, earlier last season. So <laughs> let, let New York do the selling on its whole, which, yeah. again, is better because, you know, who's to say that JD is is there at the, the end of Artemi's contract? It, you want it to be for more reasons than just that. All right, let's shift, let's shift gears for a second. 
Let's talk about Columbus as a whole, because you are a very interesting case study right now for a team that went all in, like all in, all in. And you win the first playoff game in organization history, and now all the big pieces are free agents moving forward. You lost JD, not that that really counts. The thought process is you're going to lose Panarin. Um, Duchesne is proud. Did Jeff Skinner sign that massive contract, or is that just being rumored? I think it's still rumored, right? It's, it's so if rumored, that goes yeah, through, Bob. Matt Duchesne is literally going to be smiling ear to ear. Yeah. What is happening? What's the fear? It has to be a really tense organization right now. Yeah, I mean, if I mean, I'm sure that there is, there is apprehension in terms of just getting through it right I don't know that it's the sky is falling um I think that they really would obviously like to sign I think Duchesne is the closest they have in terms of keeping one of the unrestricted free agents um I think if they can keep him and if, if it makes sense for both sides I think that's a huge plus um the goaltending is a question, but if the talent is what it's believed to be with um, Elvis Merzlikens coming in over from Europe, Elvis. they could be okay there. We love Elvis. We love what the name. What a great hockey name. Oh, it's fan. It's and the, and the kid has personality name. to match it for days. It's, it's incredible. So I'm so excited. <laughs> Where is he from? Uh, he's, well, he, he was, he's from Latvia. He was playing in uh, Switzerland, uh, but he's from Latvia. Huh, These so, are our hearts and deepest dreams, Joe. That's all that matters. Yeah, <laughs> I was just curious what European country would uh, would have Elvis as a name that they would use. <laughs> well, he's named his so his father's favorite artist was Elvis, so he huh. was named after Elvis well, through his father. Yeah, um, worldwide superstar. But you know, the goaltending, in theory, should be good, even if both of the current guys they have kind of right now aren't great it's my opinion that the goaltending pipeline is the strongest part of the blue jackets prospect network uh the defense is pretty sound um the big question does remain that offensive side and a case i've made a couple times now is that what yarmo and company did there at the deadline wasn't just huge for the organization but it was a huge freaking commercial bulletin board to the rest of the league to say hey players if you want to play in a place that's willing to take risks and willing to go all in to go for it, if you can prove that you deserve it, we're going to back you. There are few better commercials an organization can give to free agents without speaking to them than that, in my opinion. And particularly when you're a smaller market, perhaps a market that isn't as well known, I thought that was a great shining beacon to say, pay attention to us and what we're all about, um, which could matter if none of the current free agents sign are they looking at some of these other guys and you know we mentioned is taylor hall actually going to go to free agency we don't know um so it's the forward situation is going to be the most interesting for me obviously it's it's fair to think that right now it's a step back this coming year but i don't know that it's a total step back rebuild have to regroup situation what about uh, were they gonna sign Dzingle? I thought that that was I thought he was amicable to that almost right away. <laughs> it, yeah, his it was funny. His first availability with us, we, it was it was kind of a blatant because he's an Ohio State alumni. You have to understand. So this was like a fairy tale story, if you know, in the making. But it just didn't click, uh, you know. And, and John Tortorella, we talked about this earlier. 
he was actually in in his way protective of the player. He was like, you know, the guy's never been traded before. That's a harder adjustment than most people understand. Um, but Zingle could never really get his feet under him. He never could really find the scoring touch that his stats say he should be having. Now he was in a different role. He wasn't getting power play time. Um, but as, as the season went on, whether or not it's actually a fit, I think the way the season ended up going down, I don't know that that's a relationship that's going to continue long-term, particularly because we know how some of these deals get negotiated and it's going to go by his stats. And I don't know that Columbus is going to want to pay what his stats might demand he should get. Let's, uh, let me ask you this question. John Tortorella, coach of the future, he going anywhere? Mm. I'm very protective of my, my John Tortorella. So I, it's, it's interesting. I, I don't know. Coach of the future. Mm, I, I don't know that I'd use that label, but not in a bad sense. I think he's shown tremendous adjustment. I think he's shown tremendous migration in terms of how he coaches. But I think like any coach, you have a shelf life, right? And I don't know um, if he's, you know, a three, four, four five-year more guy in Columbus. Now, I could be completely wrong, um, but he's, he's really shown an ability to, to click with a young group and push them. Um, if they have to go through some more difficult times, I, I, they might tire of his style. I don't know, but I, I can't take a single thing away from what he's done for the organization while he's been here, and that's for sure. All right, Allison, I have a, I have a weird one for you. Oh, boy. What happens first, or what's more likely to happen, I should say, uh, Cam Atkinson having another 40-goal season or Seth Jones winning the Norris? Oh, that's so tough. What's happened to most likely happen first? Yeah, what, what'll happen first? Oh, that's brutal. Um, I'm Okay, I'm admitting... Person, a little bit of personal campaigning bias here, and I'm going to say Seth Jones gets the Norris. That's what I think is more likely, and I also think it's going to happen. I feel like he's drastically and dramatically underrated. Oh, um, totally. I don't know if it's, you know, the Columbus market or if it's just, you know, not appreciating a guy who's still really so young, really. like It's crazy. Think about, you know, how... I would actually be curious to look up what's the the youngest guy to win the Norris is, but yeah, I I just every time I watch him play, I'm just shaking my head. It's like, oh, he has, he does everything right. That's what he does. He, like he he is literally the complete package. That's what kills me about like I wrote on this last year. Like you know the the way that we evaluate defensemen is skewed as it is, and the way that yeah. we pick Norris winners is skewed. As it is, it often has such a heavy weight on offensive production. But but I agree. I think that the thing that might be hurting Seth Jones the most is that he actually is both offensive and defensively successful, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> if he was more aggressive, if he took more risks, if he was more Brent Burnsian, maybe. Right, uh, right. To, to coin a phrase, maybe he'd get a little more attention, but that's not his game. His game is true elite two-way hockey. He just does everything really well. And maybe that makes him not stick out as much. Yeah, and I think too, like what I was pleased to see again for the player is that I, I hope that in this postseason people started to catch a glimpse because 
you always hear about guys having to elevate their game in the postseason, and, and he was one. I mean, he was just a monster in the playoffs, just controlling the game, controlling retrievals, um, being a calm presence, even away from the X's and O's of things. I mean, he was he was a very important part of keeping that locker room the way it needed to be, and I hope that he continues to be front of mind after what he did. Everyone thought Zach Wierenski would be, you know, the next amazing defenseman, and he is uber talented as well. But Seth Jones should not Seth be Jones overlooked. Over Zach Wierenski, yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, and and that's no slight to Zach Wierenski. No, not at all. He's <laughs> an elite young defenseman. Who yes, is, I know. Like you know, the injury definitely you know, got him kind of out of a lot of people's minds a little bit. But uh, I just, I look at Seth Jones and I just shake my head and I think, yeah, I mean, you know, that that Ryan Johansson trade was, was big and it's definitely, you know, has worked to some extent to, for Nashville as well. But I mean, if we're talking about, you know, most trades comes down to like, who's the best player? To me, it's Seth Jones by, like, I wouldn't even think twice. Like yeah, a that was... first pairing guy who can just eat, he can play half an hour every game and, and like you said, Allison, in the playoffs, he just he elevated his game, and it's like, really, you can be better than you are. That's right. just it's insane to me. It was one of those weird and I should say very savvy trades where you were like, "What? Columbus gave up what right. for what?" Because Johansson had had that monster season, yeah. and it was just like the Derek Broussard for Mika Zibanejad trade on a lesser scale, because obviously the Johansson is still a very good hockey player, but you just you got. You took a risk, a little bit of a gamble, and it's absolutely yep. paying off in Seth Jones. I'm going to throw one more curveball at you okay. before, before we stop trying to strike you out. <laughs> Sonny Milano. Oh, He's kind yes. of in a pooper get off the pot situation here. Yes. 23 years old was really, I think, at the time that he was drafted, everybody was talking about him as one of the top prospects yes. in the NHL. Has not been able to put it all together. He's been linked to the Rangers a couple of times, believe it or not. Um, back like two or three years ago when there was some Kreider trade talk, there was questions about maybe Sonny Milano being part of a deal. Let's, uh, let's talk about him for a bit. What's, what's going on there? Yeah, I think, you know, it's just, it's a player who, you know, he, he's offensively creative. He's surely offensively talented. Um, he just might be in a situation where a change of scenery is, is going to be the final test for him. He's so good with the, with the puck on his stick, but away from that is where he really struggles. And listen, we all have our own personalities and we all have our own communication styles, but I think that the person Sonny is, who's, who's very laid back and, and just kind of absorbing, when you're trying to prove that you're trying to be better, it may not communicate that as effectively as maybe some other communication styles. So I think that that's harder to keep kind of saying, okay, it's coming, it's coming, right? Because you don't see any sign of it because he's very laid back about it. Um, I, I, I think that if the Jackets can find a way to move him, they might do so because does the player still have the energy to be in this system? I don't know, but it would certainly be for diminished returns i'm not willing to give up on him but but it might be time for a change of scenery for him uh i don't even know how to say this i'll do it straight up for chris Kreider. how about this this affects all of us kevin (laughs) hayes was just traded to the philadelphia flyers what the rights of kevin hayes were traded for a fifth round pick to the philadelphia flyers and our boy lane mignot who i hate with just a fiery passion 
Uh, oh, that is an interesting one. Who's reporting this? The Flyers are. Oh, well. Yeah. I don't even know what to say, to be completely honest. There's no way. Will he have to sign in Philadelphia, right? Like, they're going to throw money at him. I mean, the fifth-round pick is really nothing, but you're taking the shot. Oof, that's interesting. Did the Flyers really need another center? I don't know. I mean, I know that he comes back into the division, theoretically, in a weird way. Very interesting. Yes. That is not a move I would have expected. Not in a million. um, I mean, does AV go to them and just be like, hey, you have to get this kid? But was that really a connection that's worth... That's exactly what I'm sort of leaving hanging for Mike, because I don't think so. Yeah, I I really don't know. AV didn't really use him all that much. Yeah, I don't even know what to say. That's what's what's surprising to me. Yeah, this is the news breaking. Literally, this is how I process all sorts of news. At minute what? (laughs) At minute X, we're breaking news. Just me sitting here. And Allison's eyeball emoji. That is exactly... (laughs) I just wrote, uh... Because I don't even know what to... Like, is, is... Vigneault had to have put in some input, right? You like Kevin Hayes could easily be like, "I'm not, play- I'm not playing for him. I'm sorry." Or maybe we're wrong and he likes him. I don't, I don't know. <sighs> See, this is this is why we always have to couch it with as far as we know because you never, you don't know, you never really know, you never really know. I hoof. I don't even. Did know. he? Ha- he had no sort of movement restriction on his contract, did he? Hayes? No, but he's. They're also at this point. His contract's over. They're trading his rights. Well, right, but he's still under contract. Yeah, I'm gonna. Oh, I'm just gonna a UFA. No, yeah, yeah no right. Restriction. So there's no. So I. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he didn't. Have the Rangers any. and him settled for the one year deal. Right, which that's correct. They did. Oh, the there it is. It has yeah. no terms to it. Huh. I'm honestly astounded. Um, I I don't even know what to say. Who cares that there's Stanley Cup play uh, going on? This is the real news. <laughs> yeah, that is, this is the real news. <laughs> no, it is. I agree. At least for us. Oh, man. Uh, all right. Well, while... <laughs> oh, I wanted to ask one more if we can bother you, Alice. Go for it. Um, I think in, in, in kind of the hockey meta, and especially how we view players and how we view particularly how careers end and the effects of head trauma on the ice. Rick Nash is, mm. I feel like we're going to look back 5, 10, 15 years from now and say this is a guy who really kind of got it right. He read the landscape. He understood the emergence, emerging science. He looked at his very young family and he made a difficult but healthy decision. And I was so pleased to see uh, the, the reaction, the warm welcome he got back in Columbus, uh, given how tumultuous things were towards the end there when, you know, he requested the trade and, you know, being booed when he returned there. I was wondering if you could say a few words on Rick Nash's legacy in Columbus and kind of just in general about his impact as a player in the league. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that... What what might be cool about Rick Nash is that even what I say now won't ultimately do it justice. Um, in that I don't I think that before maybe this stretch here, the debate was about was Rick Nash the most talented player to go through Columbus and and arguably just as we talked about Panarin and even a Bobrovsky and, and other and Atkinson. Um, with no disrespect to Nash, you almost feel like more talented players who accomplish more have to be more valued in, in that respect. But for Nash to come back to his home, um, he lives in Columbus, he has a home in Columbus, to 
say, yes, I'm, I, this is an organization that still holds meaning to me. Um, and then, for the, for, as you said, for the crowd to, to reconnect with what he did for this club, both on and off the ice, it's really just a lovely story that, like I said, I think is still being written. He went to the World Cup with uh, the Blue Jackets management to, to see that. Um, it looks like they're going to try and find a place for him there. And I think, again, just what a lovely legacy for a guy who was so much of writing the initial chapters of this organization becoming something that now he can really be part of it when it is something. I think that's what's really going to cement Rick Nash tied to the Columbus Blue Jackets for forever, even above and beyond his love for the Rangers and playing there and all he did there as well. Well, I'm still reeling from the Kevin Hayes trade, so I don't even. Joe, we have one of the smartest people. I know. I'm in just I'm hockey so... media on the show. It is okay. So and Rick Nash, somebody that I love with just every fiber of my being. I don't even know. Not as much as you love breaking news. Uh, well, just it's just seismic. It is pretty news. big. Well, and, yeah. and who would have thought? guaranteed until he signs Joe. No, but by the way, and I was figuring this out as we spoke, the relationship between Hayes and Vigneault was Vigneault forcing Hayes into a two-way center role that he was not at all suited for. That's the very last interaction that the two of them ever had with one another. Okay, so I'm going to steal that. So, so Vigneault forced him into a two-way role? Yes. Right, you could I'm, totally steal that. All right, I'm stealing that. Mike, back me up on this one, please. I'm just, I'm still thinking about the pen cap that I dropped earlier in the, <laughs> in the podcast that yeah. definitely made a noise that registered on the it, show. He, he, uh, it, and for a period of time, it kind of worked, but like Hayes flourished under David Quinn this year in the, in the short time that they had yeah, together. He, and a lot of that was because he was kind of unshackled from that right, right. defensive center, you know, defensive center role that he was just, that's not who Kevin Hayes is. It's just not the type of player that he is. So, I just tweeted about it. I was like, did Vigneault learn his lesson? Is there an amount of money that makes it worthwhile for Hayes to go down that road? It's just very, um, hoof, yeah. Well, and who thought this would be the, f- I, I would not have guessed this to be the first shoe to fall, you know? Yeah, I, well, oh, I agree no. with you. And again, he does need to be signed, but right. the Flyers are putting in, a, like, this is a risk for them. It's a fifth round pick, but right. they have to be confident that they're going to get him. Otherwise, exactly. they wouldn't be making a trade in the first Couturier, place. So. They have Nolan Patrick. They even have JVR. Well, no, I'm just talking center strictly. Like, they have Scott Lawton. And then, you know, they obviously have Drew, but they played him at wing. And. I'm just trying to imagine, like, I'm trying to, in my head, I'm trying to, like, if, if Kevin Hayes is a puzzle piece, like, where do they see him fitting? But maybe this is just them saying, you know, is a fifth round, is a fifth round pick worth getting ahead? And, you know, we saw it with the Rangers, uh, you know, with them trading, you know, Keith Yandel's rights. Maybe this says more about Winnipeg knowing they're not going to re-sign him mm, mm-hmm. um, than anything else. Because the Rangers did that with Yandel, just saying... We know we're not going to re-sign him. We're just going to deal his rights. Right, but flip side to that, the Rangers traded him to Florida, and he signed in Florida. Yeah, I know. So, you know, this is 100% Winnipeg sat down to have a conversation with him, and he was like, is weed legal here? Because if it's not, then I'm not going (laughs) to... I was going to ask Allison about which Blue Jackets RFA is the most important, but now just... uh, Zach Wierenski. Well, there you go. After Wierenski. I was, I was so curious about uh, how many Ryan years Murray. does Dubinsky have left on his contract? A lot. Two. Is two it more? It, He's what, what, so at five point eight five. I just um, Dubinsky is such a great case study because 
I loved Brandon Dubinsky when he was here, and he Alaska was like Zone. Yes, but he it, like this was a guy who leaves his heart, you know, out on the ice. He threw that Gatorade bucket that one yes. time during the playoffs. He, yes. he also looks like his mom. Literally, will do. He's ever had. Too. Yeah, literally, will do whatever it takes to win. And then he shit talked the Rangers all the way down the bank when he got traded, which is fine. I he always talks everyone. Yeah, hundred percent. I always said that, like when, especially the first couple of years, Dubinsky was kind of like when you break up with somebody and then they're with a new person, and every time that you see them with that new person, they're like all over them. That's kind of what Dubinsky was with Columbus. But it's hard to watch somebody like him because all the things that make him great is all the things that make once good players really bad when they get older. And I feel right. like Dubinsky's kind of in that territory now where he's not the fastest guy in the world. Right. He is a little bit more physical, so he's wearing down. The offense really isn't there it's the Ryan way that it's Callahan supposed to be. Story. Well, it's almost worse. And, yeah, I'm just, like, where is he at on that scale of the Dubinsky of the Rangers to, oh, how many more years does he have left on the contract? Two, oh, my two God. more. Two more. Well, I mean, and, and uh, again, Aaron Portsline has, has asked in, in some of his writings, you know, is he a candidate for a buyout? Um, and that, that I can't say. It, it's a lot of money. Um, what, what's been hard about 14 points this year, 16 points last year. Oh my God. Well, and what's really hard about Dubinsky is that last year was just last year was probably the lowest low in his NHL career. He had some off ice issues. He had the broken face. Um, he had some other injuries and it, it just was his, he could always hang his hat on that shot suppressive defensive role that was if he didn't put up a ton of points it didn't matter because he was so commanding on the other end of the ice Um, and even that faltered last year this year he was used um, much again defensively but that side of his game came back and and it was kind of crazy because he and um, another forward uh, Lucas Sedlak who actually just decided to sign with the KHL who was an RFA those Does that two surprise? Do you think in house? Um, I I don't I I don't know. I mean, they may still qualify him. I mean, it, he certainly wasn't guaranteed an NHL spot. Yeah, yeah. And if that's the case, and the player wants to play, and and the player's family is back there, then that that makes sense too. Um, but it was it was it was crazy ironic, and and I'm not poking fun, but Dubinsky and Sedlak. They would get all the chances in the world. They had some of the highest expected goal totals <laughs> on the team, and they just could not finish. Um, and Dubinsky was often put in a role where it was literally win the critical faceoff and then come off the ice so that another center can replace you and play. For $5.85 5 million. Yes. So, you know, it's – and we all know, too, I mean, Dubinsky and Tortorella have a long relationship, one that now I think is – they're kind of like, you know, two old war buddies who've been through a lot together and, and, and have a ton of respect for each other. And so I'm sure that part of it is hard. I mean, Tortorella had to strip the A from Dubinsky last year during some of this stuff. So um, that will be interesting to watch. But I mean, look, he was back to it, right? He was trash talking the Boston fans during that series. So um, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens. But, but I will say at least this past year, it was kind of a rebound instead of just this really steady, disappointing decline. At least we saw him come back quite a bit compared to where it looked like he might go. 
I feel like this uh, this has been one of our more informed podcasts the last few weeks. Since I'm not surprised. We've just the, been screaming about Kappa The average IQ of this podcast went up leaps <laughs> and bounds. Then just then we're banging our heads against the wall. I think last, last show I talked a lot about how cannibalism and... <laughs> I think, what is it? One of my favorite dumb facts is they call human meat long pork because it looks like... A, it's similar in texture. I'm ashamed and, to say that you're miss. Like we've discussed that months ago. Like there's multiple times that we've discussed cannibalism. Yeah, I brought you up and Shana talked about baby guacamole at one point. Just horrible. That's things from that the movie The Witch. Yeah, that should have never been mentioned. In the movie The Witch, the witch abducts a baby and turns it into baby salsa. Okay, here's what I'll tell you, people. You wonderful people, you. Allison is wonderful. You should follow her. If you get The Athletic as a subscriber, you could read her all you want for free. Well, after you pay for The Athletic sponsorship. <laughs> uh, but if you want to follow her, it's A-L-I-S-O-N-L on Twitter. And you um, should subscribe to The Athletic and tell them Allison and Shayna yes. are why you're are why Yes, you're or why you're subscribers. Allison. And Eric Ayala, who's now doing yes. WFA coverage. Yes. My buddy, which is... Fucking awesome. So good. Yeah. So good. To put the explicit tag on this podcast, you son of a you bitch. You said. I was going to say, we, that passed world. a long time that ago. Passed, well, we, we didn't put it on for a while, and then somebody left a review, and they were like, you guys curse a lot. And I was like, oh, okay, that's a problem. That's yeah, a problem. well, an uncle let his nephew listen to the show, and he was, like, disgusted. Uh, but, yeah, like, uh, on the, we but, by the family s- moment. Let, let me ask you another question. You, either you've listened to the podcast before, and you've heard us swear, or you're just like, oh, I'm just going to listen to this pod. I mean, I get it. It's a Rangers podcast, but like, we're an angry group of people, so there really should have been at I'm least not some angry level. At all. I don't know what you're talking about. Well, no, of course you're not, because we have Capo Caco coming. Uh, Patreon.com slash Blue Shirt Banter if you would like to donate to us and leave the podcasting to the professionals, because you don't want to know what happens when you try to podcast on your own. Um, Adam sure you'd Nowich. have fun. You should give it a try, folks. Okay. You've interrupted Adam Nowich. Are you happy? <laughs> Adam Nowich, Aiden Gaspar, Alex Gardner, Armeo Kistner, Andre Chicagoff, Andy from New Jersey, Anthony Viola. Arch Williams, Bob Kawa, Chris Habibi, Chris Lucas, Chris O'Connor, Craig Launchin, Dan Carosi, Daniel DeGen, Danny Santiago, David L. Singer, Eric Cohn, Eric Carlson, Fancy Lawrence, Gabriel Vargas, 50, Igor Zotlovsky, James Dangles, John Reppy, Johnny Lowe, Jordan Sassone, Joshua Zarkin, Keith Franchillo, Matt from Brooklyn, Guy from Montana, Michael Alsante, Michael Kanek, Michael Scott. Ooh, that's a really good one. Uh, Michael Silvers, Mike Offit, Panera in 2020, Stink Fleeman, Tall Guy Robert, Thomas Oster, and Trevor Kempner. Thank you all for donating. Um, somebody messaged me and was like, hey, you missed my name. I'm sorry. I'm pretty sure this is the most updated one. If it's not, yell at me and I'll give you a special shout out. Thank you so much, Yes, Allison. thank you all for donating. Thank you, Allison, for coming onto the show and making us legitimate for a week. That's fun. <laughs> and uh, if you don't, subscribe to the... Uh, to the athletic join us we yeah. we, we hope and 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 now i'm impressed by your ability go. to read that name of that list of names that well that was that was very good you're assuming i'm pronouncing all of them yeah. properly which <laughs> is, up a lot of it. it's it's really not every week someone's like what the fuck did you just say and i was up like until, I don't know. up until nine months ago joe was saying tyler seguin yeah, <laughs> There is a thousand percent negative review on the podcast because I mispronounced uh, his name. And they were like, these guys can't even say hockey names, which is fair. I mean, it's totally true. So I'm not going to fight it. Uh, Thank you, Allison, for joining us again. It's Allison L on Twitter and uh, Kevin Hayes in Philadelphia. Here we go. Back in the metro. Back in the metro. Good night, everybody. Mike is a whale. (laughs) 